Our scripture this morning is found in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. You know, God seems to be directing our attention this morning in, in, in the songs that we've sung, in the scripture that we've read, and, and everything that's been done up to this point. To help us to understand that we are not in this alone. We're not trying to do this by ourselves. Let me tell you a secret, but it's not even a secret. We can't. You can't do this by yourself. You can't do it alone. You can't do it outside of community. God wants us to understand that everything that he does, he does on behalf of his people. And he wants to use us in these days. We'll talk about what that means in, in a little bit. He wants to use us in these days to proclaim him. Instead of just sitting back. It's like I said during Sunday school time, Brother Rock said yesterday that until you, God has finished with your purpose on this planet, you are immortal. You are immortal and you are invincible until God is finished with you on this planet. How do I know that? How many times Paul gets stoned? Well, once was enough, but it's more than once because what's the purpose of stoning somebody? It's to kill them. You and I think about getting stoned and we think about marijuana. Or we think about throwing little bitty pebbles, you know, coming up beside some, somebody's head with a small little rock. No, these are rocks, kind of like river rocks. Big things. And you're not necessarily aiming for the head, you're aiming for the chest. Because if I can crush your chest, you can't breathe any longer. Plus, because I'm the sadistic kind... I've ensured that your death will be slow and painful. The Apostle John. Why was the Apostle John writing the book of Revelation? Why was he on the island of Patmos? Because Caesar had tried to kill him by boiling him alive. And it didn't work. Why? Because John hadn't written the Revelation yet. God wasn't done with him. And so God let him live throughout that. Listen to me, beloved. God wants to use us in these days to declare his power and his blessings and his salvation. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. <coughs> Excuse me. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? 
But if you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, brought my precious treasures to your temples, and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory, behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that when this day comes, should it come during our lifetime, that it will not come as a surprise. God, we thank you for telling us not just the, 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 the wherefores, what's going to happen in those last days, but Lord, you tell it to us for a reason. And you tell it to us for a reason so that we may understand our position in you and what it is that you would have us to be doing. And so, Lord, as you illumine the heart and mind of Joel when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, we pray, O oh God, that you would illumine our hearts and minds uh, this morning as well. Lord God, we love you with all of our heart. We trust you with all of our soul. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Obviously, this morning we come to the third chapter of Joel. And, and those of you that know me know that it probably was my intention to do all of Joel 3 this morning. But as I got going and, and studying Joel 3 and reading and, uh, and, and coming to an understanding of what God was saying, uh, I came to understand that uh, that we weren't going to make it. Well, we could have if, I, if I'd preach a real sermon, but that's a whole other discussion. There are several important things that we learn in this last chapter of Joel. And, and the first thing that we come to is the covenantal relationship that God has with his people. I want you to look at verse 2 again. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of who? My people. My people. God is saying, you have been contending against my people. You don't seem to understand. When you touch my call, when you touch my elect, you are touching me. You are coming against me. Do you understand that, beloved? That when the world comes against you, they're not coming against you. 
When the world gets mad at you for sharing Jesus, they're not mad at you, they're mad at Jesus. They're mad at the message that you bring because they know that their life doesn't live up to it. Going on. He says, on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel. Now, y'all might be saying, Pastor, why are you so worked up about this? We're not Israelis. We're not Hebrews. We're not Jews. We don't stand in this covenant that God made with Abraham. Yes, we do. If you don't believe we do, go home and read the book of Galatians. Paul tells us from beginning to end how God grafted us into this covenant. How God grafted the Gentiles into... And we're going to see what the early church thought about all of this uh, in a couple hours. And it'll take a couple hours to get through... No, I'm kidding. But God through Paul says that we are co-heirs. Okay? God says... That, that, that we are his inheritance. And then, at, at the end of that verse, he says, they have divided up my land. Do you understand? Do you understand this stuff you watch on the news every night? This contention between the Palestinians and the Jews? You're reading about it right here in Joel 3. It is not the Jews' land to give away. It is God's land. God gave them a divine deed. And if you don't uh, uh, understand that, then you go home. I've already given you one homework. Read Galatians. Now I'm going to give you homework that it's kind of like asking you to read the advanced calculus book, okay, in a math class. I want you to go home and read Deuteronomy and Numbers, all right? Can I get No, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of y'all ever read through the book of Deuteronomy and Judges because most of us would go, he would have to ask that, wouldn't he? We get to that and it's talking about all the begats and it's talking about where this land is there and this land is there and we're going, I don't see any purpose in that. There is, and, and when we preach through Deuteronomy and Judges, we'll cover that. But in those books, God lays out the boundaries for the land of Israel and he says, this is the land that I am giving to you. While you're at it, go ahead and read Joshua because that'll tell you how they got a hold of it and why it's important to them and, and, and how they didn't do what God told them to do. And listen to me, beloved, they're reaping the consequences of it still yet today because they didn't take the land the way that God told them to take the land. God said, don't make a covenant with any of these people. And so what was the first thing they did? They made a covenant with the first group of strangers that showed up at their door. Hey, y'all look nice. You want to make a covenant? Well, pinky swear. And they're dealing with the repercussions of that still yet. Well, what kind of covenant am am I talking about? Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, wait, let's let's stop right there for a minute. Why did God say to Abram, get up and go somewhere else? 
Well, let me ask you this question. Why did God ask Isaac or Abraham to offer Isaac on the altar? Was it because God was suddenly interested in human sacrifice? No. He wanted to see if Abraham would do it. He wanted to see how much Abram loved him. He wanted Abraham to demonstrate in his own life that I love you so much, Lord, there is nothing off the table. And then also, those of you that got saved later in life, <laughs> what's your biggest struggle? Going back home. Or getting right back into that environment that you got saved out of, right? It's going right back into that environment because you're not mature enough in your faith yet to be able to resist and to go back as a witness. Now, you can go back as a witness the day you got saved, but you can't stay there, okay? You can't stay in that environment. You've got to walk into it, do what God called you to do, and then get back out of that environment because if you don't, that environment will start taking over you again. And so God says you've got to get away from this because his relatives are pagans. And beyond that, God wanted his nation in a particular place, which was at the crossroads of the ancient world. And God says, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So there's the covenant that God made with Abram. And he says, if people bless you and your children, I will bless them. And if they curse you, I will curse you. That's what Joel is talking about in this third chapter. These are the nations that are being summoned to war. Okay? Because they have cursed Israel. They have cursed God's anointed. They have cursed God's elect. Now listen, beloved. You don't have to be a Calvinist to see that election is running all the way through. I mean, you go back in, in, in what we're looking at here in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, now, I don't know what that you call that where you come from, but I call that election. He didn't speak to Clyde. He didn't speak to Cleophas. He didn't speak to Larry. He didn't speak to... To anybody else, he chose Abram. Now, you're going to ask me why. I'm going to give you the theological answer. I don't know. I don't know. But God does. And someday he'll explain it to us. But that's the election. God said to Abram, go forth from this place and I will make you a great nation. And you're going to be a blessing. And so throughout the Bible, we see God moving among his elect. And we need to understand that there is a day coming. Joel is talking about it here. There is a day coming when every nation, every person 
will stand before Almighty God and they will have to give an account for the way that they've lived their lives, for the way that they have governed, for the way that they have behaved. Everybody is going to give an account. Now, for a lot of us, that's a scary proposition. And I got to tell you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it ought to be the scariest thing you've ever heard. God says, and we'll look at it in a moment, but God says that they are going, that He is going to bring His angel army to fight this this battle. And and I don't know about you. But if it seems scary when an angel comes and says, Behold, I bring you great tidings or or tidings of great joy, that somebody gets terrified, listen to me, beloved, that angel is not in battle armor when he did that. Okay? I can only imagine how much more terrifying that angel would be if he was in battle armor and ready to do war. See, beloved, what Joel was telling us is that his kingdom, God's kingdom, will be established on earth when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Verses 1 through 3. Joel is talking about that a time period that he says, in those days and at that time. And... What he is referring to is what he referred to back in chapter 2, verse 28, where he said, It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Now, hold that thought in your mind, because we're going to see how the early church tied these two passages together on the day of Pentecost. We said that on that day that Joel was talking about, every nation, every person, listen to me, beloved, we have laws that you and I, that the church of Jesus Christ knows should not be on our books. We know that. We know that. They are unjust. They are ungodly. And someday... God is going to call to account every law, every person for their involvement in unjust and ungodly laws. The judgment of the nations will take place when God restores Israel. In the last, that listen, some may say, well, that happened in 1948. It partially happened. The Jews began returning to Israel. But are all of the Jews in Israel now? No. Go to New York City. Go to Miami. Go to any large city. And you will find a large Jewish population. What God is saying here is that in these last days, God is going to call them all back to Israel. And the ancient promise of God is going to be fulfilled when he said that he would personally return the Jews to their homeland. 
But still, that's not going to be good. Because even after they get back, there's going to be this time of great tribulation that's known as Jacob's trouble. And it's going to come upon the earth and it will be at the end of that great tribulation that God will pour out His wrath upon all the unbelieving and wicked nations of the earth. Let me just stop here for a minute. All of us know Christians that they are all about the wrath of God. Okay? I mean, that's their entire witnessing strategy is that God's going to send you to hell if you don't repent. God's going to send you to hell if you do this or, or if you do that. And certainly there is a place for us to talk about the wrath of God. We need to be mindful of the wrath of God. We need to be mindful that God is not playing a game here. God has a purpose in mind, and He's going to fulfill that purpose. He wants to use us in that purpose. He wants to use us to be a part of that. But His purpose will be fulfilled with or without us. Nothing we do and nothing we don't do will ever thwart the purposes of God. He is sovereign. And it's hard for us to imagine the wrath of God being poured out on anyone. But we need to understand that this great tribulation, I mean, we talk about it, and we almost talk about it with glee when we're talking about what's going to happen to the lost people. It ought to take us to our knees, beloved. It ought to make us weep when we read what's going to happen. When we read what's going to happen on this day that, that they're talking about. God is going to execute his judgment against the nations at the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, we don't know where that is. You're not going to find it on a map. It's called that because in Hebrew, Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges. Now, where did this Jehoshaphat come from? He was a godly king. And a, coalitions of na- a coalition of nations decided that they were going to deal with the Jews once and for all. And they gathered themselves together. And they surrounded the nation. And they were going to come against Jehoshaphat. And they were going to destroy him. Because we're talking about the land of Judah. Small nation. Small nation. It would almost be like every state in the United States deciding that we had something against Rhode Island. And that we were then going to get all of our National Guard and Air National Guard and and all all of that militias from our state and we were going to surround Rhode Island And we were going to bring it to its knees. Jehoshaphat knew. I mean, he's not dumb. He looks out and he says, Mercy, there's no way we're going to be able to defeat that army. I know what I need to do. I need to go and ask God. 
I need to get on my face before Almighty God and ask God to deal with this situation. And God heard his prayer. God miraculously stirred strife among the invaders. And the coalition of nations began turning against one another. Not a single sword was used against a soldier in Judah. Joel is describing the final gathering of nations here in their rebellion against God. John describes the same thing in Revelation 16, 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Joel and John are talking about the same battle. And it is a judgment of all the nations. God's main complaint against the nation, we saw back in verse 2, is that the nations have mistreated God's people. You understand that? Southern men, three things that you never talk about unless you want to start a fight. What is it? You never talk about a man's wife, his mama, well, four things, his dog or his pickup, right? You just don't do it. You just don't do it because you know that you're going to start something and God is saying, don't you ever come against my people. Don't you talk about my people. Don't you talk mean about my people because when God's people are mistreated, God takes note of it personally and he will avenge it. Verse 3. Can I tell you, we ain't got time to explore this. This is God speaking against human trafficking. Hello? God is speaking against human trafficking here. They have cast lots for my people. They've traded a boy for a harlot, and they sold a girl for wine that they may drink. We'll talk more about that when we get to Amos. Verse 8, the nations uh, treated God's people with contempt and had no sense of their worth. One commentator said, you cannot tread upon the least toe in Christ's mystical body, but the head cries out from heaven, why do you hurt me? Acts 9.4, Jesus did the same thing. Paul's on his way to persecute God's people. Do you get the irony? A man who thought he was God's man is on his way to persecute those who are really God's people. And Jesus cries out, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Verses 9 through 13. God challenged the nations to prepare for war against him. 
Can you imagine? I mean, we're not going to spend a lot of time like this, you know. But but what if I was to decide I was going to get in a, in a dust up with somebody that was six six, six seven, six nine. Their wingspan is much longer than mine. I'm so old that if I hit you as hard as I could, you just kind of go, were you trying to wipe something off my face? You know? And it doesn't matter, I could say, I am a mighty man. I can say that as much as I want to. But if I'm going against an enemy that is stronger than me, I'm about to get pulverized. And these people are saying that I am, we're going to go against God. We are mighty men, and we're going to be able to defeat God. We saw how that worked out in, in Genesis 6, didn't we? Or in Genesis 5 and 6 where they decided to build a, a, a ziggurat to go up into heaven. We ain't got time to look at it, but Psalm 2, 1 through 6 talks about the futility of humanity trying to go against God. Then in verse 13, again, we ain't got time because I want to get to what, what I really wanted to get to. In Revelation 14, 17 through 20, John uses his same image of a wine press to talk about the wrath of God and to talk about this last battle of human history. God is summoning people, summoning the nations to come to war. He said, I've had enough. You wanted to come against me? Come on. Come on. Come on against me. We're going to settle this thing once and for all. Time is about to come to an end. So what all what does all of this mean to us? Turn to Acts 14, 23 through 31. Or Acts 4, 23 through 31. They panicked for a minute going, wait a minute, he messed up bad. We don't have that one. So you got the picture, right? Infancy of the church. Day of Pentecost has, has happened. The Jewish authorities saw that the church was, was growing by leaps and bounds. They believed this couldn't be from God. They, can't, they brought Peter and John in and they said, Guys, tell you what, we'll be nice. If y'all stop, we won't kill you. And Peter and John said, Guys, you got to do whatever you got to do. But we got to do, we got to proclaim the word of God. We got to proclaim the word of God. Remember what I said, you are invincible until God is finished with you. So they let him go and they said, don't you do that anymore. Peter and John came back to the church to give a report. They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they fell on their face and they said, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Now we've drawn the attention of the authorities and they're going to kill us. (coughs) Excuse me. No. They lifted their voices to God with one accord and they said, Oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage? See, there's Psalm 2 again. And and the people devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. To do, listen, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. The persecution, the arrest, the beating, the trial, the death, the burial of Jesus was not a spur-of-the-moment reaction by God. It had been predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. (laughs) You see that? They understood Joel 3. They understood that if you come against God's elect, you're coming against God. They had seen what they did to Jesus, and they said, Lord, we're ready for the same thing because we recognize that we are immortal until you are done with us. And Lord, while you're using us to speak your word with all confidence, can I tell you a secret? When the Holy Spirit fills you, He fills you. He doesn't give you just a couple of ounces. He doesn't give you just a a short swallow. You don't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. While you extend, Lord, while you're using us to speak the truth in confidence, extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And here's what happened. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Listen to me, beloved. They're saying, Lord, you know what's going on. We're going to trust you to fill us. We're going to trust you to use us. We're going to trust you to do things that we can't even imagine that we would be able to do. And, Lord, we're just going to leave all that persecution. We're just going to leave everything mean that they say about us up to you because we know that when they come against us, they're really coming against you and that you're going to deal with it. And so, beloved, will we see those days, will we see these times as an excuse for us to just sit down and wait Or will we pray? Will we see things His way? Will we be shaken? Will we be filled? And will we then go and proclaim the Word of God with boldness?